listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. So today we're continuing again with our series on 1 John, and I'm going to give you the main point right off the bat this morning. So here's what it is. The Christian's relationship with God is characterized by love, not fear. That's the main point this morning. We can go to the the first slide. The Christian's relationship with God is characterized by love, not fear. And just to clarify, when we're talking about Fear, not fear of the Lord. This is a good thing, this sort of holy reverence and, and awe in God, for God's majesty. We're talking about fear more in the sense of dread, the fear of punishment. So our text is 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's word. This is John chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in, his, in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he, is not, who has, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Move in our hearts and our minds to convict us of our deep sin and of our need for you. And then point us to Jesus. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. There is no overlap between love and fear. You can either have one or you can have the other. They're they're mutually exclusive. You, You can't have both. You can't dread someone and then love them simultaneously. Just ask any victim of abuse of any kind, and they'll tell you the exact same thing. If you're living in a constant state of terror, of fear and worry, like you're walking on eggshells, you never know quite how that person is going to respond or if they're going to lash out at you and hurt you, that's not love. The great philosopher Aristotle put it like this. He said, no one loves the man whom he fears. Love and fear can't coexist. They are 
opposites. That's the truth John is trying to pound home in our text this morning. Here's where I want us to zoom in. This is just two verses. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to, to keep them open. This is 1 John chapter 4, but I want to zoom in on verses 17 and 18 because the rest of this passage kind of repeats themes that we have already covered. So we're going to double-click on this, beginning at verse 17. That is incorrect. I know I've got the verse. I've got it written down here. This is not my day, guys. Stick with me. 4, 1 John 4, verses 17 through 18. That is right. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is no fear in love. Pastor David Prince tells a story which illustrates this truth powerfully from his own life. He says, I once knew a family who adopted an older child from an unspeakably horrific orphanage in another country. When they brought her home, one of the things that they told her was that, well, you gotta, gotta keep your room straight, right? You're a kid, kids have chores, keep your room in line. So she heard this, but she heard it in a very, with a very particular inflection. When she heard about this responsibility, she fixated on it and saw it as a way that she could earn her family's love. Thus, every morning when her parents came into her room, it was just immaculate, like spotless, and she would sit on the bed and she would look at them and she would say, my room is clean, can I stay? Do you still love me? Her words broke her new parents' hearts. See, in the orphanage, this little girl had come to believe that she was dispensable, valuable only insofar as she kept the rules. In her mind, love had to be earned. So she lived in a constant state of fear and anxiety, waiting for the hammer of judgment to drop, waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under her. There was no security, no guarantee, and no certainty. She had never experienced unconditional love so she just assumed that it was up to her each and every day, like starting afresh, to earn that love. So every morning was a fresh terror. She had no idea what love was. If you don't know your love, the only alternative is a state of dread. We can think of it like this. We've got a slide for this too, Tracy. Um, two statements I'm going to read for you. Number one, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Statement number two, I messed up. I really need my dad. You see the difference between these two? Massive, massive difference. In the first case, I messed up. My, my dad is, is going to kill me. The, there is a sense of, well, let's start out here. We'll, we'll go back for a moment. We, we, we have to recognize that in both of these statements, both of them recognize wrongdoing, right? In both of them, there is repentance, the, the I messed up. I did wrong. I have sinned. 
But then they go separate ways because in the first one, my dad is going to kill me. The sense is, okay, I, I did wrong, therefore I need to push as far away from my dad as I possibly can. I need to get away from, from God, my heavenly father. This is the way that many people view religion, particularly certain versions of Christianity. But in the second statement, the repentance, this recognition, I messed up, it drives the person closer to his father rather than further away from them. They need their dad's help. They know that their dad loves them, so he's the one that they should pick up that phone and call in the middle of the night when they're in trouble. Because only he can get them out of their predicament. Now let me ask you this. Which of those most closely describes your relationship with your Heavenly Father? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So I've been a dad for about four years now, so I feel like I'm about ready to write a book on it. It's easy. I don't know what everybody's talking about. Like, it's hard raising kids and whatnot. I got it all. We got it all figured out. Talk to my wife. At, well, no, don't talk to my wife about it afterwards. I was going to say, I love my girls. I love them so much. But sometimes I'm not a very good parent. Sometimes it's just that I don't know what to do, which is easy to empathize with. You can say, well, this is my first ro rodeo, although I have two kids now, so I can't say that anymore. I don't have that excuse, but more often than not, it's not that I just don't know what to do. It's that I do know what I'm supposed to do. I do know how I should respond, and then I don't. I'm too tired or too impatient or I lose my temper or I'm hungry or I've had a bad day or it's late and I'm just kind of running on fumes here and I got nothing left to give. Sound familiar? Anyone? Yeah? Now that doesn't exonerate me or excuse me. I'm still 100% responsible for my own actions. But it's the truth. And in those moments, which are more frequent than I'd like to admit, I resort to scare tactics and punishments to get my kids to do what I want. Phrases like, if you obey right now, or if you don't obey right now, insert punishment of choice, or, this is rich, this is your last warning. It's never, what's that? Count to five. This is your last warning. It's never the last one. That's a phrase that parents made up to help them feel like they're in control of the situation. But the more I'm kind of under the gun, the more those sorts of responses, scare tactics, and punishments become my default. Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me because discipline is important. That's not the issue. It's necessary. The issue is that in any relationship, not just a parent and child relationship, but in any relationship, if fear becomes the primary motivator, in other words, if the reason I'm obeying is simply to avoid punishment, then love is no longer at the center. 
Let's personalize this a bit. I want you to think in your mind, envision the relationships in your life where you feel the most insecure. I'd venture to guess that with those particular people in those relationships, words of condemnation and punishment outnumber words of freedom and love. In my own life, I can say that that is true. A pastor and theologian named Fleming Rutledge summarizes the sentiment like this. She says, insecurity is related to fear of judgment. Here's something you can take to the bank. If you ever feel secure in any situation, it's probably because you fear judgment. If you feel insecure before a basketball game, it's often because you fear the judgment of the crowd, of your peers, the coach. If you feel insecure about your boss, it's probably because you fear their evaluation and judgment on some level. If you feel insecure walking through the doors of a church, it may be because you fear the judgment of other people. If you feel insecure about how your social media posts are performing, it's because you fear judgment, right? Are they going to click like on this one enough times to, to validate it, or are they going to just swipe on past because it's not good enough, and I'm not good enough? If you feel insecure around your parents or, or find yourself resorting to old patterns of behavior even as a grown adult, it's likely because you crave their approval and fear their disapproval. In other words, fear of judgment. No form of human love, even the, the closest relationship, is entirely free of fear. Our old Adam, which is to say our old sin nature, likes to think he's a pretty good judge. So we set ourselves up on that bench, pound down our gavel, and render our verdict. You're not good enough, so you get what you deserve. Judgment rendered, end of story. But is it? Is that really the end of the story? Because John sure didn't seem to think so. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The truth is that, to go back to the courtroom metaphor, <clears throat> we sit in that defendant's booth every day before God, our judge, and we are guilty, deserving of punishment. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. The sentence we justly deserve is death, but then something miraculous happens. The judge himself steps down from the bench. He takes off his robe. He walks over to the bailiff and puts his hands out and he says, take me instead. And he's marched off to await his punishment. The condemnation meant for us falls on him and he serves the sentence we deserved. At the cross, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 
21, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. As one theologian puts it, the judge was judged in our place, and we are free and exonerated, all because of God's unconditional love for us in Christ. Friends, here is the good news. You're going to want to write this one down. God's judgment supersedes every human judgment. God's judgment supersedes every human judgment. You don't have to prove you're enough, good enough, loyal enough, wealthy enough, smart enough, pretty enough, moral enough, because Jesus is enough. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. You know what this, this word, casts out, really means? In Greek, it has this sense of uh, to, to, to throw out or to, to almost like kick to the curb. Like a, like a bouncer throwing somebody out. This is what love does to fear. It throws it out. It expels it. It casts it out. God's unconditional love, it, it expels fear from our hearts and banishes it from our lips. And it creates freedom because when you have the approval of God, you don't need to chase the approval of others. Love makes you fearless. When you know that, that you are willing to love, or when you know that you are loved, you are willing to risk. When you trust and believe that you are well-pleasing in God's sight, that the hammer of judgment isn't always about to fall, but was already pounded down in all of its wrath and fury at the cross, Guys, when that happens, we have absolutely nothing left to fear. And that opens up a whole new way of living. The Christian's relationship with God is not characterized by fear, but by love. One author summarizes this nicely. He says, love is perfected in us when we believe in Jesus and no longer fear that God still might be angry with us because of our sin. I want to close this morning with a story. Anne Graham Lotz, who was the daughter of Billy Graham, she tells an anecdote about an experience from her childhood where she experiences kind of love from her dad. She was involved in a car accident after speeding carelessly down a windy mountain road. Now she was too scared to tell her dad about it, so she avoided it for a really long time. And finally, by the, time, the end of the day came, and she was kind of tiptoeing into the house trying to, to get around him. There he was, standing right in the kitchen. Anne describes what happened next. She says, I paused for what seemed a very long moment, frozen in time. Then I ran to him and threw my arms around his neck. I told him about my wreck, how I'd driven too fast and smashed into my neighbor's car. I told him it wasn't her fault, it was all mine. As I wept on his shoulder, he said four things to me. Anne, I knew all along about your wreck. I was just waiting for you to come and tell me yourself. 
Number two, I love you. Number three, we can fix the car. Number four, you are going to be a better driver because of this. And says, sooner or later, all of us are involved in some kind of wreck. It may be your own fault or somebody else's. When the damage is your fault, there's a good chance you'll be confronted by the flashing blue lights of the morality police. But my father gave me a deeper understanding of what it means to experience the loving, forgiving embrace of my heavenly father. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K J. O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.